Well, dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that we can come together uh, and worship you and study your word. Um, Lord, we ask that today that we would open our eyes to um, seeing uh, a truer perspective on uh, how you have uh, ordained our lives to be, how you have called us. I ask God that you would bring back uh, Greg and Catherine safely um, from D.C. as they fly back uh, in a couple of days from now. And Lord, we just um, ask that your hand would be on our service our, of worship to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, um, when we were trying to figure out what we were going to do exactly, I was uh, discussing with John, and I was like, well, I'd I'm not really sure exactly what to talk about because there are many different things that uh, could be discussed. And I didn't want to necessarily uh, jump in on maybe anything that uh, John was going to be talking about or anything that maybe Greg will be covering in upcoming weeks. But um, one of the things that I think um, kind of always uh, shapes some of the things that's on you know, what we want to speak about, what God has placed on our heart, are the things that we are seeing when we study Scripture. And for those of you who go to Rock Campus Fellowship on Thursday nights, um, you know that we are talking, uh, we're doing a study of the book of Luke. And one of the things that we have discussed as a major theme in the book of Luke already is the fact that um, God is looking for a people that he has called out that will do his work here on earth, and that will that people will bear the fruit of his kingdom here uh, on earth. And so one of the things we wanted to discuss is um, talking about how that is applicable to us and our day-to-day life. Um, a lot of times we here at Grace Christian Fellowship talk about uh, concepts of, you know, the first is the representative of the whole. And when we come each day, every week on Sundays, We are saying that this day is the representative of the whole of our week. We're coming here today to worship God as to say all of our lives, all of that we do this week is a worship of God. And yet we have six more days throughout the week to work. And so finding God in that place where they have grace to do these things, to do what God has called us to do, is a vital thing for our everyday life because you know, when we call to, are called to worship God, we only spend one day here at the church you know, on Sunday mornings, but yet we go out to the world uh, six days a week, and this is a way that we can present Christ uh, to the world around us. So today, we're going to look at um, a few different things. We're going to look at some different truths that, are, that we hold um, that can be considered conflicting, but yet um, I would charge that these things are held in divine tension for us. Um, then also we're going to take a look at some different examples in scriptures, but in particular we're going to look at Joseph uh, as an example as to how we respond to the challenges in the less than, the less than ideal situations that we get put in, whether it's by our employer or different things around us. So we're going to go ahead and get started. So our first point we want to make is that God created all things for his great pleasure and to share that joy of his labor with us. So we see our, um, we see that creation um, is the 
the focal starting point for us as we delve into uh, the Word of God, where where we look to and see um, this is something that we're, God is laying is out for us in a pattern and an example for us as to how we are to live and orient our lives. And so um, we see this in Genesis 1. We continue on, and many of us, as we're, if we're familiar with Scripture, we see that as a result of his sin, the curse of Adam, Adam was not that he had to do work, but yet his work would be something that would be faced with resistance, where there would be um, a struggle against the earth to, re, to yield its fruit or to yield its produce. And so I think a lot of times we're tempted um, to look at work as a four-letter bad word, like obey. That's one of the other appropriate four-letter words that we don't like in Christian circles sometimes. But we think of work as being necessarily not being holy, as it's just kind of, oh, well, what's really important, what's really the thing that we should be doing is spending time praying, spending time um, reading our Bible or coming and worshiping before God. But we don't think of uh, work as a holy endeavor, as something that is just as vital to our everyday life and what God is calling us to do as those other things. Um, there's a temptation in our world to look at it as, as work is just what we have to do. It's the kind of the mundane. It's not the thing that really maybe excites us. Um, working at a paper company is not the most exciting thing. I can tell you that from personal experience. I don't know. Maybe that does excite you. Maybe you guys would find my you know what that is uh, something very very exciting. Um, I know that there are other jobs out there that seem like it's more of a chore and a hassle, and you're just doing it because it's what you're supposed to do. And I think duty is a, is a good thing. Having a sense of duty, I don't want us to despise that. Because once you despise having a sense of duty and doing what you should be doing, because that is what God has called you to do, if you despise that, then you have nowhere to even begin. You can continue to pray over and over again, God, give me a desire and a want to, but your response in that moment of praying and wanting to do, you know, having God give you that desire, that doesn't excuse you not fulfilling your duty and to not, um, to, to add to the productivity of this world, to add to the benefit to this creation that God has, um, has given, um, has um, thankfully has provided for us. So we see that, so Adam, again, he was not, his curse was not that he had to work, and yet oftentimes we are tempted to think that that is the way we ought to relate to our jobs and our careers. Secondly, another truth that's kind of, it's held in tension that we have to wrap our heads around is that we have been bought with a price. We are not of our own. If we as Christians, we proclaim that is, that is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we, it is not a matter of what we want or a matter of how we think things ought to be necessarily. It's not up to us to make that call in that decision. Yet, 
we're not just called just to work for the sake of working. We're not called to do things just because of the fact that we've been bought with a price. We were bought because we are, have been adopted as sons and daughters. So we are called for a, a more noble purpose than just simply just doing work because that is what our God would require of us. Um, in fact, our God, over, compared to all other gods, our God does not need us to serve him. Our God does not need us to do the work that he has called us to do. In fact, it'd probably go a lot better if we weren't involved. Let's be realistic. Uh, if we did not uh, have our sinful nature interjected into um, situations and so forth, then God's name would not be besmirched amongst people who um, despise and reject him. We would not be poor examples, less than perfect examples of the glory of God. But yet, it brings God glory by partnering with us and allowing us to participate in this laboring of extending his kingdom here on earth. And that extension of his kingdom and of his glory and of his dominion is, sever- it is infinitely manifold in terms of or the, the, the breadth of it. There is no limit to the end of what God's light, where God's light needs to shine in in all circumstances all the time. So we are called as sons and daughters to follow in the family business, so to speak, and that is the restoration and reconciliation of all things. So we have this tension of we are called to to work, but yet it's not supposed to be around when we feel that we want to be doing it. Um, in fact, in the fourth commandment, it says that we are we are commanded to work four days of labor, or excuse me, six days of labor and one day of rest. So. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love my lazy uh, Saturday mornings. I love it. Uh, I love spending time with my wife and just like being a complete vegetable for like several hours and like checking out Netflix and, uh, you know, looking through Facebook and all the, you know, little nonsenses of the world. But because I think, oh, I've done my work. I've worked five days for my employer. But we have to change our operation of who do we think that we're working for. It's not that our job is the total extent of our work. Our work is not done when we punch the clock on 5 p.m. on Friday, if you work a normal 8 to 5 job. Our work does not end there. And so um, and I think this is something where God is has ordained that we understand or has, has determined for us to understand that our work is supposed to not only be, um, you know, not being focused on one or the other. You can work inside your home. You can do things in terms of um, providing for your family in terms of the care of your home, making sure that your home is kept up well and keeping, make sure that people's, you know, the, the tasks that are needed, laundry, um, dishes, all of those things, but yet there's also the element of that we have to go out into the world, and because if we are just stuck within our own walls, either of our home or in our church building, then the word is never going to go out, right? We have to meet the people where they're at. 
and chances are you're not having strangers over at your house all the time. If you are, that might be a little bit weird. You might want to start putting a lock on your door if you have strangers walking into your house. So that being said, God wants us to be um, having, a, 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 I think, a good balance between the two. As we need to not, for the sake of our endeavors out in the world, to forsake what God has us stewarding at home. He doesn't, it's not that if you are a father who has to work 40 hours a week or even more, maybe you're working 50 hours or you know, hopefully not 60 or something like that, out at a job, and then come home and then you're just like, well, sorry, hon, I just worked a really long time and that means you get to do all the parenting and I'll just keep on you know, sitting here and resting uh, and recovering for the next hard day of work. But yet there is, I think, a grace for the balance between the two. Um, and I think sometimes we have, we have been cheated by the world around us by telling us that you have to pick one or the other a lot of times. You're not, um, you're not capable of balancing those things in your life in a healthy way. Now that means you might have to say no to a lot of things. You might have to say no to social agendas and so forth like that, but um, there, there comes a, a, again, we have to go back to the fact that our life is not our own, it belongs to Christ. So along with that line of understanding of rest is that there's a, there's a tension there as well in terms of we need to be able to steward our health. We need to make sure that we are caring for our families, spending time with them. And at the same time, though, we need to be diligent workers. We need to see that our time here on earth is a really limited amount of time. There's a very limited amount of time where we can sow into people here in this lifetime prior to the judgment of Christ. We only have so much time. If we're, if we're lucky, we have 80, 90 years where we can still be truly fruitful for the kingdom of God. So, and then we have the, all the rest of eternity to enjoy in the true rest, which is being in the presence of God completely. And so it's one of those things where we have to understand that this race that we run really is more of a sprint than a marathon in some ways. Um, and so to kind of gird ourselves up and to strengthen ourselves up to be able to, to endure um, through this short period of time for the everlasting uh, pleasure of being with God. Hopefully, it is our desire that we would, um, by the end of our life, that we wouldn't just get to heaven and think, oh, well, I got in by the skin of my teeth. I got in because I believe but hopefully when we, we face Christ, you know, see Christ face to face, he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And hopefully that is what motivates us. And there's, that's a good motivation to have and to why we do things is that we want to be able to say that we stewarded the things that God entrusted to us um, for his glory uh, to the utmost of our ability. So the other thing, uh, one other point about these that I didn't uh, get up on the slides that as a truth that's intention is that um, we're tempted to believe uh, we, we see the um, we see in scripture where it says those who are faithful in little uh, will be faithful in much 
And a lot of times I think that that gets misconstrued as like a prosperity promise, that if you do the little things that therefore God's going to automatically owe you and to give you more, right? I think sometimes we face that temptation. Uh, I know that there are times where I think of like, okay, God, if I just, just get me through this season, please. <laughs> like, can you just, just, just get me through this? And uh, hopefully we, you know, what you, we see on the other side of this, you know, maybe you'll take it a little bit easier on me a little bit. You know, give me a little bit of a break or, you know, you bargain with God to a degree and you think that just because, you know, there are, um, just because of what we do, that somehow we're owed something for that by God, and that's not the case. Uh, we, we were owed, re- truly, we deserve death and condemnation, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, for that wonderful gift, then we would surely be, uh, we would surely perish. So, it's something to think about that where we, des- we should and ought to desire to want to be blessed more so that we can further um, be used by God, but it's not for our personal gain. And we have to make sure that we kind of watch out for that because the temptation is real in that area. So working with God, I think if um, if we trying to change our perspective and our, um, the way that we look at our work, if we, if we look at it as that we are co-laboring with God, I think that that is something that helps us to see that it's not just some, um, it's not a hassle, it's not a chore, it's not something that is bothersome or cumbersome, yet if we are doing it with God, we know through God's promises that he will provide us the strength needed to um, to see it through to the end. So scripture routinely points to God's command to be fruitful. And there's not any, we're not mincing words here, it's commanded of us to be fruitful. And there are warnings included with that command for failing to do so. So we see um, so starting as early again as the dominion mandate, a lot of times we look at the dominion mandate in Genesis 1 as a call to, for human beings to be able to rule and govern, but we don't look at it as to, in order to do those things, that means there has to be effort put into that where you have to actually um, get your hands dirty, so to speak, and be involved. You can't just from a distance, just kind of like, you know, uh, you know, uh, just oversee it, just kind of like, oh, well, just kind of look in on things from time to time. You know, every now and then maybe I'll check in or better yet, I'll just delegate it to somebody else and they'll do it and I'll just like kick back and just let them, you know, take care of it all. No, but rather, we have been put in charge in such a way where we must be taking care of the things that God has entrusted us. So we have to be, it starts as early as that. We see different areas where um, we see different parables that Jesus speaks where he says that he, where we do a parable of say the the 10 minus, uh, where a servant is given uh, a certain amount of allotment from his 
from his master. And what we see ends up happening is those who um, do not put that to use are the ones that are having those things taken away from them and given to those who actually are producing uh, and uh, adding to an ex um, to the wealth of the master. And that sounds like that might be a little bit of a shocking message to us to think that if we're not, um, if we are not um, t taking what God has entrusted to us and using that to uh, create increase for the kingdom of God, that God would take that away from you. That sounds like that's a very uh, scandalous thing to say about our, our loving God. But yet, our God is very jealous for his name. And he will not, um, he wants to see uh, that his, um, his body to be mobilized to reconcile uh, the world unto him. And if we're failing to do that, he's going to find someone who will do it and will be successful at it. And that's not to put undue pressure and performance and condemnation on us, but it should motivate us that we, um, that we should see how, God, how much God has loved us and be desiring to, um, to love him back through not only just our words, but our deeds as well. So we see some other things as well. Um, again, we talk uh, been talking about in the book of Luke how um, how God how Jesus came and spoke against the people of Israel, saying basically that you are not truly my followers. You're not producing uh, the fruit. You're not being um, you're not doing the work that I have called for you to do. And I'm going to find and he, Jesus then speaks against those, and then tells them that I will go find a people, and those people are the Gentiles. And so that's a very, uh, it was a very, very controversial thing to say, and something that almost numerous times almost got Jesus killed uh, before his appointed time to be killed, um, because the people understood the gravity of that, uh, of that situation. So we're going to take a look at a couple of scriptures here real quick. So uh, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Uh, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So one of the beautiful things that unfortunately we don't see probably as much anymore in our culture is that an understanding of from fathers and mothers passing down an inheritance to their children and how that inheritance is to be a blessing unto unto their children and God operates in the same way God is our father and God will provide for us a blessing for his sons and daughters and the how we um how we steward that reward, how we approach that reward um, is, greatly, um, is greatly significant, especially in terms of how it reflects our true heart towards our heart's condition towards our God. Are we just using God just to try to get blessings or are we trying to live in such a way that it's not that we um, are concerned of our own glory, but for God's glory? 
Because work is God-ordained, our sinful flesh and the world system pervert and resist it in many ways. And we talked about this to some degree. We see portrayals of work as being, um, being something that is something that's a, a, a significant burden in our lives. Um, we, we look forward to the weekends and we look forward to you know when we can go out and when we can have a good time and do whatever it is that we want to do, so to speak. But we are tempted every day to despise, you know, being not, not only just going to work or doing whatever it is, if we're a student going to class, doing your assignments, or when you're at your job, actually doing your job, as there's many opportunities to goof around and to, fool, uh, to, um, to not actually to not actually do much work at all. Um, if you want to, if you don't believe me, I can I can tell you stories of all the things that I've seen happen in my office during work hours, and it's like, wow, that's I thought we're paid to make a product here or something to actually serve customers, uh, you know, try to make some money here in a declining uh, market where they're, you know, we're you know, the, I'm in an industry where it keeps on shrinking, shrinking, and shrinking, and it's like you do realize that we could close up shop here someday because we're not making enough money. It's like, it just, just kind of amazes you how the perspective on that. So, but nevertheless, or nowadays we have this um, desire almost to try to delay growing up and taking responsibility in our culture um, where we have, uh, unfortunately it's a bigger indictment of our young men, more so than our young women, where we want to just stay being boys for a long period of time, uh, longer and longer, to not be responsible, to not, um, to, to not think as to, um, to be prepared for the time when God were to bring a, your future spouse into your life. Uh, we were talking about this at premarital counseling last night, is that men have a temptation to want to clean up their act once the, once the girl comes around instead of being prepared for when the time God brings the girl into your life. We, we think of it as like, well, okay, well, oh, that's, that's, it's now it's time for me to stop like, hanging out with my bros and like, you know, uh, going on weekend benders and road trips and all that kind of stuff. And uh, while I'm at it, I can buy, you know, really expensive stuff for myself, bigger toys and all that. I'm not going to be... Uh, uh, frugal uh, with my money. I'm not going to be wise with how I invest it. I'm just going to like, you know what? I'm just going to have a good time until I got to actually start behaving because no girls want to going to want to marry me if I'm acting this way. Um, and they know, and we know it. We know it as men that we're, uh, the time is going to come where uh, if you really truly want to not just be all by yourself and being one of those, you know, one of those men that live out of the parents' basement or whatever, uh, there comes a time where we're like, we realize that, oh, that, that's a, we gotta make some life changes, let's just say. Uh, kinda have to do an overhaul, do a rethink. So, but we're, we're very much tempted, or tempted to despise these things that uh, to be a responsible contributor to God's um, creation and not only just from looking at it as a, the big picture here, which was hopefully what we're doing, is we're seeing the source of all this, but then 
as we see the source of it and we sprinkle it down to the practicals every day application, how we act uh, in the workplace. How do we, are we trying to be the best employee we can be um, without sinking our ship, uh, so to speak, by tying it to the company too aggressively? Because obviously, um, on the other side of the coin of not wanting to work at all is the uh, chasing the American dream rat race to want to be, to acquire more and more and more and more and more, which obviously is um, just as destructive. Um, it's obviously also something that God is deeply opposed to by his, the way that he created the world in six days and resting on the seventh. Um, it's not just so that God can say, okay, well, you get to have a break, you know, because you're working so, so hard. It's like, no, he just doesn't want you to be so consumed by greed that he rested on the seventh day. doesn't want it to be where we are just striving, striving, striving for the sake of our own glory and our own kingdom building. Um, the, the Sabbath is for us to remember, uh, to remember God as being the whole reason why we're even living this life. So... So we, we have a lot of different temptations. We have a lot of different things to, we have to combat and resist against. Um, one of which is that we're going to take a look at an example through Joseph um, in particular that might be something that um, is a com. it could be, it's becoming probably more and more common or might be a, a bigger concern to us as we get further into the workforce is how do we respond in working for someone who is, let's say, less than godly. How about that? Someone that is your employer or your boss is somebody that is not necessarily operating with these mindsets involved. Thinking of that to work and to do business unto the glory of God is a great endeavor that, we sh that is a holy endeavor, um, but rather looking at it as the things we talked about, it's just a job or, you know, whatever, you know, the people who are just looking at it as trying to um, have the system most benefit them at the expense of either um, your, uh, their employees, their customers, etc. So, so we're going to take a look in different portions of Genesis 39 for when we're going to take a look at Joseph. And um, so... Just to kind of um, set this up, we're actually not going to look at some of the verses that are like the more common parts of the story that we are maybe hear the most about. A lot of times when we hear about Joseph, we hear more of God's providence and provision in a time of need and having faith that um, God is totally sovereign and in control. A lot of times we look at Joseph as just being God moving this particular um, peace around the globe, so to speak, to prepare for blessing his people, getting them into Egypt for his purposes. But rather, we don't really look too much exactly at Joseph himself and the things that he endured and looking at him as necessarily as a model for a godly worker in a very ungodly scenario multiple times. So our first one we're going to look at here is Genesis 39, 2 through 3. 
the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So at this point, Joseph had already been sold into slavery by his brothers and sisters, um, uh, actually not sisters, excuse me, all to, to his brothers, um, to the Midianites who then sold him uh, to the, his Egyptian master, which was we see is Potiphar here. And so, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So we know that uh, we've seen uh, and we're familiar with the fact that uh, Joseph is a, is a successful person, but yet um, we see that in particular that the Lord, through Joseph, provide a blessing over his employer and all of his, uh, his entire household. And we see that it was that God was with him, that, and we see in the previous slide, that God caused all that he did, that the Lord was with him and caused him to succeed. So rather than looking at it as um, that necessarily that it was the, the skill of Joseph, or he was just put into the, just the right environment, but rather seeing that God ordained for him to be in this place. Just as, if God, just as God has ordained uh, you to work either at your job at Arby's or Speedway or any of the different places at Kettering Health, if I think, same, yeah, Catherine works at Kettering Health, yeah, uh, doing accountants, uh, doing the books there. God puts you there, and it's not by happenstance that you get there. Um, and as we see, it sounds like Joseph's doing pretty well for himself. Then, but we know what we don't have next on the slides is we, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. But we see that eventually that Joseph gets put into prison uh, as, you know, as the, it's, uh, all that, all that good work, and he gets put, thrown into jail. Um, that doesn't sound like the kind of the blessings that we're looking for um, out of doing God's will is to be thrown into prison. Um, but yet, it says here, once again, Joseph, um, again, being put into a situation where it is completely undesirable, because obviously being in the previous one, he was sold away from his family all on his own and put to someone who is not a follower of God. Um, and yet we see again Joseph here um, thrown in jail says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Moving on. So now, after, um, through his faithfulness, through being uh, God using 
uh, Joseph to interpret dreams of the, uh, the baker and the cupbearer. Um, we see that Joseph again is promoted into another position um, because of his, because God is with him and is walking with him through this entire uh, circumstance. And Joseph is not despising these opportunities that God is putting in front of him and taking him through. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, this is Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And so... Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, which at this time is the greatest uh, economic power and nation at this time that we, that we see. And so this is a, um, even though it looked like Joseph had, a, had risen to some prominence, took a couple, maybe you know, would be viewed as a, a pretty significant step back. God all the while is preparing him to be a able worker for Pharaoh, and yet he is, as we see here um, in verses 47 through 49, um, this is the testimony after, uh, uh, after Joseph has been appointed his position and leading into the seven years of, um, of bounty, um, going in, leading into seven years of famine, we see that this is what is um, the success story of Joseph, of Joseph here. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the foods from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And so... And that's bringing this out for us to see that, you know, if God's going to um, necessarily make your career path follow that of Joseph. No, I don't know if anybody would necessarily would want to roll the dice on that, knowing the, the imprisonment part. You might want to, you might think twice. But all of this is that none of this actually belongs to Joseph. He is stewarding what belongs to somebody else as if in understanding that it really all belongs to God. Even though this is not a godly man, or these are not godly men who Joseph has been pushed into service under, yet he doesn't despise them or doesn't look down upon them and doesn't say, well, you're not really worthy of my best effort because you're not really... Uh, you're not a holy person. You're not someone who is of the faith. He doesn't look at them as being someone that is, um, been, you know, that's not worth his utmost uh, effort and um, uh, his energy, his um, his attention to detail, and so forth. Um, he looks at it as that he under he understands that through these men, that they are God-ordained authority people in his life that he is called to serve. Um, whether or not that 
he were to get a dime of any of this whatsoever. Even though he um, has given a, a measure of success, it's not Joseph's uh, kingdom he's building. He's building other men's kingdoms here on earth and seeing it as the proper stewardship of God's calling on his life. So, and that's sometimes that's a little bit hard to, for us as Christians to wrap our head around is building somebody else's business, helping somebody else get the profits that they uh, are to earn through doing business, even though they might not be the people that are using those profits or using those things to better uh, the kingdom of God. I mean, to some degree, yes, they are. They are able to provide wages for folks who need that to be able to provide uh, food and, and a living for their family. But we're not called to be arbiters of, of that. We're called to, if God puts us into a job, we're called to do it excellently. And we're called to do it with respect and with love for those people. And hopefully by our... And the interesting thing is here is that we don't see any indication that by Joseph's uh, actions and his character, that he, it's not that he calls any of these people to conversion. We don't see that as a result. And sometimes I think we come off as Christians as having a dual agenda. Well, I'll help you if, you know, or I'm only going to really invest in this because there is a, an evangelistic uh, opportunity here, rather than understanding that we are called to partner with God in his ways and means that we are not the ones to judge as to, you know, like, God, do you really want to bless this person? Like, come on now. I mean, like, look at this guy. Like, he's greedy. He's, uh, you know, a liar. He's a thief, etc. Whatever their sinful problems are, we, it's not our call that when God puts us into our jobs to say, well, I'll give my 80% best effort for, for these people at this company because they're not really doing the godly things. So, um, you know, we're, since we got started late, we're actually running out of time. But I, one of the things that I didn't catch to get to place on the slides here that I think was a really great, um, really t- great takeaway from jo- where you can see Joseph's heart in all of this. It says, um, so it speaks to how God blessed him with two sons um, after the seven plentiful years before the seven years of famine. And it says, speaking of his, his second son, it says, the name of the second he called Ephraim, quote, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so I would encourage us strongly that if you have, um, if you're working at places right now, that's not all that you have dreamed it to be. If you are, um, if you're just thinking you're just biding your time until the next opportunity that God provides. If you're not pouring yourself into it with the level that is healthy, because obviously don't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to clarify that, but I will. That there's a, you know, obviously don't. Um, live in such a way where you're just um, being uh, foolish. But pour yourself into those, your employers who, um, who 
provide a your wages because um, they are providing you with something in return for your work that is um, that is good um, and we see in scripture over and over where God says that um, a labor deserves his wages and so um, but there's um, you know it's not up to us to de- determine if you know if someone is is worth uh, our best effort or not based on where God has put us to work. So um, let's pray before we uh, dismiss downstairs for a quick break before worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, we are, that our faith is not a meritocracy, um, that, Lord, it's, that it's not based on our efforts. Um, it's not based on uh, what we put in um, because, God, that's karma. That's not you, and we reject that. Um, Lord, but rather we know that um, it is truly your blessing upon us that we have the ability to um, join with you in bringing your light to this world, um, whether it be through um, evangelistic missional things or if it's as um, as just in as simple places as um, at our, you know, as we interact with customers or with our coworkers and our bosses, God. Pray that you would uh, humble us uh, this day going into our work week, God, work week, God that, we would, um, that we would truly uh, heed your command to, to do uh, as it's unto you and not for men, um, God, and that we pray that we would um, do it with all of our heart and with all of our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.